Hey everyone, I'm Mayor Sambal Siddiqui. And I'm Alana Mellon, Vice Mayor, and this is our podcast, Women Are Here. Hello, Hello. everyone. Happy Friday. Happy Friday, Friday TJF. I just did yoga. I just did yoga. You did? I did yoga at Starlight. Um, proceeds went to Transition House. Oh. Wait, so they're doing yoga in Starlight Square? Yeah, it's part of this wellness week. Um, and it's uh, going to be happening um, throughout the next week. There's stuff programming tomorrow. Um, and let me just pull some of it up. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, I am not a yogi, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I you know, know a lot of people who you know, I love and they love yoga. And so I... Um, you feel really zen? Not really. Like the whole time I was like, okay, I have to do this. I have to do this. I have to do that. <laughs> Meanwhile, she's this woman, this instructor, Melinda, she's just like, breathe in and breathe out and think of, let go of everything on your mind. I'm like, that's impossible. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I would say, I, so I used to do yoga a lot. And um, the one thing that I thought was really interesting about it was I, I learned that you don't have to think the thoughts that you have in your head. Right. Like for a long time, I just let them happen. And then with yoga, it's like, oh, I could just, I just not think those things. And um, that was like a really freeing thing for me to like, you know, let your mind go or like, just don't, you know, don't take those negative thoughts in. And I don't know. I just, I'm not, I I don't do yoga now. I think um, I, I would like to be a person that had time to do yoga or anything really. My, my B, my education liaison was like, we should go to this self-care. I was like, you're right. All right, we'll do it. And so uh, the, the, the women's wellness week at Starlight Square actually um, kicked off Tuesday um, with Zumba. um, And then there was yoga today. And then tomorrow there's yoga in the morning. Um, Then there's like a dance class. And then there's also like another yoga class, 1130 and all, they're all community classes and they're all donation based. So you can, register via event drive, event bright and the you know local nonprofits would benefit as part of domestic violence awareness month so oh to, for transition house that's great okay yeah, yeah so. so we'll we'll tweet out that information um because i i did see that it's happening tomorrow morning again because mm-hmm. we're going we're going to opportunity in the afternoon at starlight square which is a pop-up of local retailers um, and it's outside, so it's a safe environment, uh, you know, during COVID. And I'm excited about all of the things that are happening at Starlight Square this weekend. So, all right. So, so we yeah, should, well, lots to talk about. <laughs> lots to talk about. So we um, had a meeting on Monday night, um, and we got a few COVID updates. And since then, we have learned uh, that Cambridge has moved into the yellow warning zone yesterday which means that we're reporting between four and eight cases a day. Previously, we were reporting zero to four cases per day, which were in the green zone. Um, and also yesterday, I did see that the state reported 986 new cases yesterday, which was the highest number of new cases in this reported in a single day since May. And the statewide positivity rate is about 5%. Um, and then a third indicator of um, sort of an uptick in COVID activity is that the wastewater at Deer Island, which is tested three times a week as an early detection of COVID-19 through RNA signaling had a huge spike on Wednesday. So we're all sort of waiting for today's result to see whether or not that was an anomaly or a trend. 
Um, and we can, we'll talk a little bit later about what Cambridge is doing with their wastewater treatment um, sampling when we get to the council, the rest of the council update, but it has been a little bit alarming to see some of these upticks uh, here in Massachusetts and across the country and know that we are kind of heading into a second wave. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a little a depressing. Of, a lot of worries and a lot of fears, a lot of anxiety. Of yeah. So, you know, I had a school committee meeting on Tuesday night. Uh, we were, we got some school reopening updates, as we've said, school reopening in person for the youngest learners and those with the highest needs uh, opened school open October 13th. And so far things are going um, well. Um, we, as of, you know, October 15th, the numbers that we have is 55% of eligible students are enrolled in the in-person instructor model. That's about um, a little over 1,500 um, kids. And, you know, we kind of got a breakdown of in-person and remote enrollment numbers um, and a breakdown by, by race. Um, and then we were, we received some staffing updates uh, as well. Uh, and then, you know, some of the, the ongoing um, things that we have to consider as we move forward, we have some 2021 20, COVID-19 estimated costs, which mm -hmm. will eventually come to the school committee. Uh, I'm sorry, the school committee and then the city council to approve. Um, and we already, as you know, we had over a 200 something million dollar budget and the COVID expenses have um, estimated costs to date have been around $17.1 million. Um, and about almost 7 million comes from the health and safety updates that we've made, you know, PPE, sanitation, ventilation, the HEPA filters, the box fans, um, all the window repairs, and then the testing that we're doing twice a week. Um, there's a technology piece in there that's, there's the additional educators, and that's like almost $6.5 million. Wow. Um, and uh, there's a, a lot of um, other estimates. And so some of this, the 17.1, will be able to get through some sources, grant funds and others. Um, and then we have some savings that we can use from the, the, this, this general budget fund, but uh, with re reallocations, but probably going to come to the council for about $13 million. Um, and, you know, I think I say this and I know most places would, can't even, we're very fortunate here. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's not lost on us um, as, a, as, a, as a school committee and really the, the folks involved with reopening that we are putting all this money up front. The goal, hopefully, really my goal is to have kids come back as fast as they can. Um, but we, as you've said, there's a lot of changing uh, things that play the data. Uh, you know, we just heard this week, Boston's remote going, got, went fully, went fully remote. Right. Remote. And um, so anyway, I won't go on, but we're thinking through a lot of the COVID uh, upcoming phases. Um, and it's, it's challenging. It's very, very challenging. And I, that's what keeps me up at night these days. So that's, that's the, I think the testing piece is going well. Um, we have a lot to look ahead on. Uh, and so the committee will be meeting, 
you know, the next few weeks around that. We have a roundtable on Tuesday uh, to hear from the elementary school principals about what's working, what's not working. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's a little bit of an update. Yeah, it's interesting um, thinking about, well, I've been really re just looking into Massachusetts and the numbers in schools, you know, the number of staff that have um, tested positive and the number of kids that have tested positive. And some of the data that has come out from DESE and other places is that schools really aren't a spreader event type um, you know, situation, that there will be isolated incidents of people testing positive, but because of the social distancing and the strict mask adherence and the wash, the hand washing, that there just hasn't been hotspots um, in schools. So it, it is interesting with the evolving data around um, what yeah. we know about this virus and how it transmits and, you know, what that will tell us about, you know, getting more kids back to school. Because um, currently we really only have our, our youngest learners who are in four days a week, um, you know, our JK through first grade and, you know, about half of our second and third grade. And then our vulnerable uh, SEI students or special ed students are in. But, you know, I, I think the, the optimally we would be getting a lot yeah. more of our learners back into school. So every, I feel like every day is a learning experience and mm -hmm. we're kind of, kind of learning as we go, but it was interesting to watch the presidential debate last night and really hear Joe Biden talk about the reason why we're all in this situation is because we haven't had a plan. We haven't had a federal plan, a, a testing plan or a, a tracing plan, or even funding, like you mentioned um, from the federal government to really cover those additional costs that schools and municipalities are incurring right now to ensure that our kids are right. safe back at school. And so it was actually really nice for me to see um, Joe Biden last night really you know, that, yeah. strongly take take ownership of what the president and the federal government response should be under the next administration to get yeah. our kids back to school. And needed. And, you know, hearing him, I was like, wow, we here in Cambridge, we've been able to do this, right? Like the right. Right, PPE, you name it, because we have the resources. Um, but many places right. don't. Right, and it's who's back in schools? You know, it's the it's like the the private schools and right. exactly. um, suburbia, <laughs> uh, and you know the emails that I'm getting are you know some parents who are very very upset, um, and I, I hear them, you know, and I I never I'm never I don't respond and say you know you're wrong about this. I just respond and say. I completely agree with you and we, we we're working on it. And with the context of, you know, we've, the, the whole state is, has been waiting for leadership that hasn't come. Mm -hmm. um, and we have some leadership from our governor and, and Desi, but it's, that's been lacking too. Uh, uh, and so, I don't know, I could go on, but I won't. Uh, <laughs> so that's, that's the update. Uh, and then there's a, some other, um, uh, citywide updates we have too. Yeah. So speaking of kiddos, we've got a Halloween update that we heard on Monday night that the city has made the difficult decision to cancel all city sponsored Halloween events. And we won't be uh, issuing street closure or block party permits for this year. The public health department, um, Claude Jacobs was really encouraging residents to only engage in lower and medium risk activities. Uh, unfortunately, a higher risk activity is trick-or-treating door-to-door. And given that we, as I mentioned earlier, have moved into the yellow category, I think our public health department would really strongly urge um, kids to find 
a lower risk activity, like getting together with a couple of friends in the park masked. Um, I know my daughter is heading out to do a little pumpkin carving um, party with a, a couple of her friends tomorrow outside and masked, you know, just trying to find those activities for our kids that um, help them celebrate Halloween and they can get dressed up in, in their costumes, but not unfortunately knocking door to door. We will do it in 2021 and we will do it. Um, we're just going to have a heck of a time. <laughs> yeah. I, I was thinking of still dressing up and like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> are you going to dress up at city hall? I was thinking, yeah, I was thinking about the, um, we, I'm getting a witch, uh, uh costume hmm. and, you know, I'll just like, I'm not going to, you know, obviously encourage any trigger and, you know, not encourage any Halloween, but just send a message to say, you know, we'll celebrate next year and you can come visit city hall and I'll have some chocolate and some, you know, candies. I never did trick or treating. So for me, I, you know, I always missed out on it. And then I did it like as an adult later on, um, like in eighth grade and ninth grade and stuff. And not an adult, you know, um, but <laughs> not last year. <laughs> I did want to go last year, but anyway, we will, <laughs> to your point, we'll, we'll do it up um, next year. Well, I have a witch's hat if you want to borrow it. Oh, you do? Oh my God. Oh, yeah. Great, great, great. Mm-hmm. Another update is that we heard that uh, the popular fall on the fields program is going to be extended to November 20th. And so it was originally scheduled to end on October 30th. Uh, there's a lot of um, community demand uh, and uh, a lot of people just really enjoyed the free outdoor programming uh, from three to six on city fields on weekdays. So that we're happy to see that continue. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, it's been a, a, a godsend for so many people who, you know, your kids are kind of cooped up all day on their computers and just having something from three to six at the local park to do after school has been really a great thing. And, you know, the weather's still pretty good through November 20th. So um, I was glad to see that the city was willing to take that on. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the other stuff we heard about um, on Monday night was around the eviction moratorium. We've been on active on our social, you and I about um, the eviction moratorium ending uh, October 17th. Uh, the governor did not extend it, um, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, the good news is that you know we our moratorium um, is is going to continue uh, to protect tenants from uh, forcible evictions. Uh, and uh, but what it doesn't do is is you know, prevent the landlords from filing evictions. And so uh, this week I had a policy order around that. Um, and then last week I had one around just strengthening how we can strengthen potentially the moratorium that we have right now. Ours does not include enforcement, enforcement language, uh, which is really critical. Um, and really any other ways that we can strengthen it. Uh, so I think we, we want to make sure that our residents who are, um, you know, can't, are unable to pay rent, which is one of the, you know, uh, cases, which not paying their rent is one of the, um, case, the examples of when landlords um, file eviction filings. Uh, and we have a lot of resources that we are putting out as a city to say, look, we have the housing stabilization fund. We have, you know, state funding that we can provide uh, really don't file the eviction um, uh, in the first place. And so we've, we have that tenant notification um, and resources notification ordinance 
that uh, we are had uh, ordained on uh, in a September that became effective October 14th. So we're trying to do more education around that uh, piece. And so uh, I had tweeted and you retweeted this. Um, and the city also put out some information um, about who to call. The, the website is cambridgema.gov slash tenant rights. Um, and the number, if you know you are um, have any questions, is six one seven three four nine nine seven seven seven. Yeah, I think it's so so important to get the information out there about what is available, what your rights are, um, who to call. There there are financial programs both by the city and by the state that can help you with rental arrearages um, to avoid an eviction. Um, I did also, you know, was in touch with the Middlesex Sheriff. Um, they're actually not carrying out evictions. Um, so, you know, it seems like even though um, the statewide moratorium ended, which is a, an actual shame, uh, I, I have a lot of uh, thoughts and feelings about the governor letting that lapse um, and not having a stronger program and funding behind um, the, the lapse, but it, you know, for residents of this city, uh, we are working really hard to make sure that our residents stay in place and that, um, that they have the information that they need. And uh, I think if, if people are out there listening to this, if you can take that information that Sumble and I have tweeted and the city have tweeted and, and put up on our Facebooks and just send it out, you never know. That's the one thing that I have discovered right. in doing this job is that you never know when somebody is um, is in an eviction situation or is, is about to be evicted. evicted. It could be somebody that you know really well and you just don't know their financial situation. So making sure that the information gets out there and is widely available is the most critical thing at this point. Yeah, and our really our goal is the, that, that sole eviction filing will have an impact on a person's, uh, the tenant's record. So really my goal is to, you know, it's, it's very, it's really important that, you know, yes, the, we're not carrying out any physical evictions, but that sole act of filing eviction, we, there's a lot of preventative proactive things that um, are available to residents to, before they get to that point. So definitely reach out to, to us um, and spread the word. Okay, so another thing we talked about on Monday night, which is um, a program that I've been working with the city on is, um, a patio heater reimbursement program. So um, the city announced Monday night that they are creating this patio heater reimbursement program for local restaurants. So you've been out to local restaurants, you've been walking by, you've noticed that they have these uh, propane type uh, heaters that keep you warm while you're sitting outside and enjoying your meal. Uh, they're really expensive and the propane is really expensive too. So the city worked together to try to find the funding um, to make sure that our restaurants were reimbursed for up to five patio heaters and up to $250 per patio heater. So a maximum of $1,250. So this is a really, you know, this has been a really hard time for the restaurants and the restaurant mm -hmm. industry. And um, however that we can help the restaurants defray any kind of costs to, you know, move their dining outside, keep people safe while keeping livelihoods, keeping people with their jobs, um, and providing safe opportunities for people to come together. I think what we've noticed is that people really um, needed that, some opportunities for to get together, um, to socialize, but in a safe way. So 
making sure that we had these patio heaters um, available for reimbursement was something I was really strongly in favor of. And we'll continue to look for, uh, you know, unique opportunities for us to support our small businesses and restaurants as we move into this next winter is coming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> winter is coming. Uh, so, yeah, it's great that, um, this, that we, we were able to do this. So thank you for your leadership on that. Um, I had filed a policy order in September. Um, I think we both filed this, like you filed that one in September. I filed this one in September um, on wastewater uh, management. And it was, we also heard back um, uh, on Monday about a pilot that will um, happen uh, pretty soon. And so as we've mentioned in, pretty, in a previous podcast, uh, wastewater testing has been used for years as an effective method for de detecting any virus that can be transmitted asymptomatically. And we have a wastewater metric that we're using, um, you know, on the regional level uh, for looking at um, school and, you know, school reopening and school um, reclosing. And so I had, you know, over the summer said, you know, we should really be thinking about looking in Cambridge sewer water and collecting more data uh, for our public health department to make informed data-driven decisions for reopening. Um, and this actually, the, the program uh, can um, reveal COVID-19 hotspots up to one to two weeks earlier than individual testing. And so um, it's, it's, you know, this appropriation on Monday night for $175,000 is going to include, um, is going to be enough funding for six months of testing and there'll be, and hopefully, you know, next, you know, the next two weeks um, and we'll be testing three locations, East Cambridge, North Cambridge and the port. Um, and so uh, there's a lot more details and I'll be providing, we're going to write something up on in the program, um, but I'm really glad that we are going to be conducting this program. Yeah, I was um, contacted by a bunch of Cambridge Public School parents this week who were concerned when they saw the wastewater, um, you know, RNA sampling from Deer Island that had, you know, that is part of our metric, whether or not we stay open or we close, mm -hmm. that made a huge jump on Wednesday and whether or not this is actually a good indicator um, for Cambridge, you know, because it is so regional. So, for example, um, the MWRA the we are in the northern section of the Deer Island um, wastewater treatment testing and that includes Boston, Cambridge, Somerville, Everett, Chelsea, Revere, Malden, and okay. north and west and so you know it may not be a good indicator of where Cambridge is right now uh, because it's kind of all together so using that metric may not be a, a good one for us to be using moving forward as we decide whether or not to keep schools open or closed. So um, yeah, so you've got a bunch of nervous parents out there right now, just want to tell you, Madam Mayor. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, one of the other things we talked about on Monday night was a vacant storefront report. So a million years ago, um, <laughs> I, in our first term, uh, when you were the chair of the Economic Development Committee, um, you chaired a few meetings on, you know, this issue of vacant storefronts and how hard it is for the vibrancy and vitality of our 
squares and local business districts to have vacant storefronts and how, how so many of them are, are vacant for so long. Um, and that it was critical that the city start developing a, a real strategy around addressing this issue. So the response that came back uh, recommended creating a vacant storefront policy that would require ground storefronts to be, that have been open, open for 30 days to cover storefront windows with paper or artwork and include a phone number uh, to, and leasing information. So I guess <laughs> I, had a, mm -hmm. I had some mixed feelings about the report back. I think I was glad to see us come back with a report um, suggesting a few things but I had hoped for a really stronger policy. And I, I feel like that was sort of the, um, the tone of the, the city council um, that we, we weren't happy with the level of um, teeth that the policy was gonna have. I mean, there was some conversation about how, you know, for these large real estate uh, ventures, you could, you could charge an exorbitant fee and it wouldn't really matter. Like it's just, there's, you know, they have tons of money. So um, you could charge anything you want and it wouldn't, wouldn't make a difference. And then you might unintentionally um, hurt some of these smaller property owners. And so, you know, one of the things I said was we could, you know, impose fines based on square footage and length of vacancy to hold those larger landlords responsible without mitigating any impacts to our small businesses and uh, property owners. And then we could use that revenue to, from those fines to protect the vitality of our small businesses. So we re ended up um, having a sort of a conversation about how we all wish it had a little bit more teeth. I mean, I, I don't know, I talked to like one in 10 residents um, really wants to talk about vacant storefronts, even in the middle of COVID is like, what are, what is the city doing um, about these vacant storefronts? And I don't think that I can possibly, you know, say to them, well, we're, we're making, um, the landlords clean up their trash and put up a phone number of the leasing agent. And that's all we're doing. You know, I just don't think that that's strong enough. And I think that the rest of you and the rest of the city council felt like we needed to have a larger conversation. So that got referred back to the economic development committee and I'll be holding a hear hearing on um, exactly how we can have more teeth in this, in this policy and program. Yeah, it went back to the notes from the meetings that I chaired around this and we did have that discussion about fines and, and, you know, all like relating it to scare footage and lots of vacancy. And I think I remember having some follow-up with some of the staff around this. And so I, I was, I think, you know, expecting to see more um, or just a stronger policy. So I think hopefully we'll, we'll get there. You know, it does seem like we are working on this as we've seen things take years. <laughs> um, oh and right and like this didn't start with with us last term right like I think there was counselors who have been on longer who were like this has been going on for a long time so um I think it's important for us to address it but um do it in like yeah actually have some kind of teeth to it so there's like some kind of there's some difference so what else came back there's a also a communication on uh closing Harvard Square right Yes. So um, also at that meeting in September, I was actually looking at that agenda, the, the first meeting back from the summer, there was a lot on mm -hmm. the agenda that actually came back on Monday night, which was a good quick turnaround. I, I like to, you love to see it. So um, this, we got a response back to closing Harvard Square to vehicular traffic, um, whether it was, you know, on the weekends or at night to enliven 
uh, Harvard Square and make it more pedestrian friendly. We had asked the city to explore a pilot program um, to do that pedestrianizing during weekends and some weeknights. Closing down some streets to cars would promote safety for pedestrians and cyclists in a high risk area as we you know, have seen several high profile deaths right in Harvard Square, one pedestrian and one cyclist. And um, you know, I think for a long time, people have been talking about how this is a perfect place to pedestrianize. You know, if you look across the world, um, you know, these types of, you know, downtown shopping centers, you know, with public transportation are like a perfect place to have a pedestrian center. And we really wanted the city to look at a pilot program. Um, the city came back with uh, a report that said that they would like to implement this with um, some caveats. They, they want to maintain the full and partial street closers that are currently in place in Harvard Square. So Winthrop Street from JFK Street to Elliott and the segment of Bow Street from DeWolf to Plimpton. And they wanna implement visual enhancements and activations under the currently underutilized Palmer Street, which is um, next to the Border Cafe, um, that little street that you can't drive down. And then um, closing Brattle Street between Elliott and Church Street ad adjacent to the De Guglielmo Plaza, which is the area mentioned most often for recurring street closures. That's, uh, I guess that wouldn't be my first choice, that small piece of, um, of street, you know, it's, it's very, it's real small. It's kind of out of the way. I, I don't think that was what, what we, he had, the policy makers had intended, but um, I think one of the things we talked about on Monday night was there, there should be a larger conversation with stakeholders that has to include, you know, robust input from abutters, the small business community and city departments. So this was referred to the neighborhood and long-term planning uh, committee to have that larger discussion among all the state stakeholders. So stay tuned on that. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's chaired by Councilor Nolan. And, Correct, uh, yeah. And it was her- Councilor Zondervan? I think it was, it's just Councilor Nolan and this okay. was her policy order, although I did sign, I, I was yeah. also a co-sponsor. Sorry, co-sponsor, yeah. yeah. Um, what we had a few, both of us, had, we had some things that we co-sponsored together and had um, one was an order uh, with you and Councillor Simmons and Councillor Toomey, where we've asked that um, our COVID-19 testing program be expanded. You know, we've, as mentioned, we're lucky to have a relatively low COVID-19 positive positivity rate, um, especially for, you know, such a dense urban environment. Um, and that's really thanks to these programs, uh, right. these rigorous testing programs to identify cases and prevent more transmission. Um, and, you know, I think as case point, case, case counts across Massachusetts have begun rising, um, including in nearby Boston, Somerville, Everett, uh, we have to increase testing. And so um, I've been really pushing that. And oh, we, I think, you know, there's a lot of, we were doing testing in schools, we're doing the flu clinics, we're doing other things, but, uh, you know, I was on with Claude Jacob from Cambridge Public Health Department, and uh, I asked about you know the the testing sites and, and where when we're expanding, um, and because I've been looking at some locations, I'm like you know if it's locations we can find locations you know, um, and you know I told him there's certainly has to be demand right, and he he actually said that um, on Wednesday at the St. John's 
church site that we have um, mm-hmm. or it's in St. John's. Like the appointments available were about like 200 that day or something that were online, but like over 500 people came to the site for testing. Wow. So, yeah. So obviously and, there's a demand. There's huge demand. And I think um, I've received so many emails um, uh, because I've been, you know, uh, you know, about the testing program and a lot of them positive And then a lot of them, you know, being like, when are we, uh, you know, going to expand testing? And so the, I had wanted to really put this uh, order in. Thanks for co-sponsoring about um, really pushing for more sites as we move into the holiday season too. Yeah. I mean, I think it's frustrating right now that you can only, it's twice a week and most of the time when you go on the appointments are taken um and you know people have you know there are people who are like okay I'm I'm visiting my elderly mom who you know lives in another state um but I have to bring her and you know I, I need to make an appointment for next Wednesday but then there are people who are like I I was contact traced I have you know I there's an exposure I am worried about this Mm-hmm. I need to go right now. Um, and there's just no option. I know people that have driven, you know, they've gone to the hours urgent care. Yeah. yeah. They've gone to the urgent care in, uh, Inman and, and there's been a huge line and they've gone to the one out by Trader Joe's. There's a huge line and they've, you know, people are driving all over the place to try to get a COVID test and then they're $160. So, you know, there's, um, there's a huge need. There's a huge need uh, for more testing and expanded testing. And yeah, a third day would be uh, great. I mean, I, what's interesting is that you said that about St. John's is I feel like we've had a lot of conversation, you know, publicly lately about how that, you know, you can do a walk up, right. Um, and it's possible that the public health department didn't realize how much of a demand there was because the appointments was just filling up and they didn't realize how much excess but now that people know that you can just walk up, now they're seeing that you know you had 200 slots, but 300 additional people showed up. So hopefully they'll um, they'll hear that and and add that third right. day. I think it's critical. So um, one of the other things we talked about on Monday night was we I've definitely talked about this on the podcast before, but Cambridge has a homeless court which um, meets monthly and is is led by this woman named Joanne. Uh, Roanne Schrago, Judge Schrago, and uh, she is uh, amazing, amazing, amazing. This uh, homeless court has been in place since 2016, I believe, and it's in the First Parish Church in Harvard Square, and she brings together all of the resources that, um, you know, that homeless individuals need, whether it's veteran services, housing, whether it's mental health services, um, all of those resources are sitting in the same room so that when she hears a case, she can say, okay, I need you to go meet with, you know, this person over here so that you can and check in on your housing or the veterans administration. I have seen her do amazing, amazing work and really transformational work with um, our unhoused residents. Um, And she was removed from her post uh, supposedly due to age. Um, It is, I believe that there's a, a bigger story. I think it's political because she um, was actually reposted in Norfolk County. Uh, so we're trying to get to the bottom of this. I've had the privilege of really seeing her work firsthand and was impressed by her 
really rehabilitative approach centered around offering wraparound services and that continuum of care to break the cycle of poverty that causes um, low level crime. So this pandemic has only exacerbated the issues and our homeless neighbors are facing every day. And this removal of Judge Schrago now when Cambridge has needed her the most is really, it feels just especially cruel. So um, I, I, yeah. look, I look forward to hearing the response, but I, we were very passionate on Monday night about reinstating Judge Schrago. And in fact, um, Adam Dwyer, who is the reverend at the first uh, parish church came and said, you know, if she isn't restated, then I, I this program can't happen anymore. You know, he's very emphatic that the, the whole reason that this program is successful is because of her. And, uh, and we demand her to be, to be replaced in the homeless court in Cambridge. So yeah, you can mention that you can Google her. Her name is, um, Roanne Schrago, it's R-O-A-N-N-E-S-R-A-G-O-W or Cambridge Housing Court and just read about the transformational work that she does and you'll, you'll understand why we were so passionate about um, making sure that we get her back and, and reinstated. Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, there's a couple of WGBH um, stories about her uh, and the work that she does, so you know, definitely, definitely read about her. We gotta, I wanna bring her back. So it's just uh, awful that <laughs> this is even happening. So we'll, we'll keep you posted on any developments um, around that. But thank you to Council McGovern for sponsoring that. And yes, thank you. We were, we were co-sponsors. Um, some other stuff um, as we wrap up. So uh, flu shots, our public health department is urging all residents to get a flu shot this year. It's really important as we continue to battle COVID and uh, to make sure that people are, are protected. We both have, have gotten ours. We got ours at CVS Woo! before uh, the, <laughs> the uh, shots were available. And now Cambridge is offering free flu shots to all residents and those who work in Cambridge. There's three upcoming outdoor drive-through opportunities, October 28th and 29th, 11th to 3 at Starlight Square and November 14th, 8 to 4 at Denhe Park. Uh, you will need an appointment and you can go to cambridgema.gov slash flu. Yes, get your flu shot. I, I'm sad that I didn't wait to get one at Starlight Square. I wanted to <laughs> I do it outside. I knew you made me get it, but I feel I'm good. We're, the whole Mallon family is protected. Um, in other news, tomorrow is the last day to register to vote in the general election on November 3rd. So tomorrow, Saturday, 1024. You can register at any of our early voting sites tomorrow, which are the Longfellow Community School at 359 Broadway. It's at the rear entrance. The Cambridge Water Department at 250 Fresh Pond Parkway or the Valente Library at the New King Open Complex uh, at 826 Cambridge Street and the entrance is on Berkshire Street. So register to vote if you haven't already. Tomorrow is the very last day. Yes, yes, please do it. And uh, according to the election commission, all mail-in ballots were sent by this past were sent by this past Monday. There's a few ways to return them. You can mail them back, but do it really soon and follow it until it's re registered as received. Yes, you can mail it back, or we have drop boxes installed at the following locations. There's one at 51 Inman Street, 
There's one behind City Hall. There's one at Morse School on Granite Street. There's one at the Cambridge Police Headquarters on 6th, the Baldwin School on Oxford Street, the, the O'Neill Library on Ringe Ave. Um, and then there's Dropbox locations at all the early voting sites, as I mentioned. I did run into one of the election commissioners yesterday, and he said the one behind the City Hall is the jamming one. It's booming, yeah, always it filled. Is. It is. <laughs> so, I see a lot of people behind there. Yeah. So my family voted last weekend at the Longfellow School and it was really easy. It wasn't really crowded. It felt really safe. I was going to vote by mail, but it felt safe enough to do in person. And I, I wanted to go there and like fill out the bubble and get a sticker, but there were no stickers. Um, I did notice that on Twitter today, if if uh, you have voted and you didn't get a sticker, Gracie's ice cream in um, Union Square is giving out I voted stickers. So oh, it's, we have a whole story about this I voted thing, but we don't have to share here. It's complicated. <laughs> I don't want to get into it. Um, next year, there will be stickers. OK, for sure. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm going to take my mom to early vote uh, at the Valentin. Valente Library. I'll probably vote the day of because I just like doing that. Um, but yeah, yeah, go vote, everyone. It's, it's, uh, it's almost game time. Um, what else is happening this weekend? So I, I think we mentioned the pop opportunity. Is that right? Opportunity. It's like opportunity, opportunity, but a pop up opportunity that's happening at Starlight Square um, from twelve to four tomorrow. But as we, as you mentioned earlier, there is like yoga and dancing. Um, mm-hmm. that's earlier in the day. So oh, and then, and then I, we're hosting a family resource fair, um, from 10 to 12 tomorrow on the Cambridge public library lawn. It's going to be a quick grab and grow event for answering back to school questions, sharing resources. There'll be some steam activity kits and kind of some computer help, some free books and snacks. So swing by with your kiddos. Um, after that, um, I will be meeting Alana um at Washington Street where the Cambridge uh, Housing Authority is and my brother's keeper are hosting um, a painting of the block um saying uh, saying uh, black lives matter so we'll drop at that that's from 12 to 3 um, I did I did see them on Twitter like setting up and and marking out the letters and that's going to be a fun time from 12 to 3 tomorrow head on down with the fam good, check it good. out then we'll go to pop opportunity and then you and I have plans. We're going to be in Central Square visiting and highlighting some uh, local businesses. So follow us on Instagram to see where we go and what we do. I'm at Mayor Siddiqui. And, and you're I, at, I'm you at change it to Vice Mayor. No. Why? Because it's really like, it's just my account. That's true. That's true. Um. <laughs> I'm at A-M-M-A-L-L-O-N, A-M Malin. Um, We are going to be welcoming a brand new um, Central Square business. And I'm trying trying to remember the name. It's um, Artifact. Artifact. Artifact Cider. I was like, it's not. You're welcome. The only thing I could think of was archival for some reason. Yes, Artifact Cider, which is opening their new location. Apparently, they're out in Western Mass, and all my Western Mass girlfriends love this place. But it's right next to CCTV on Mass Ave. So 
Um, is they, it going to be outdoor space or no? Uh, yes. Mm. Maybe. Hope so. We're going to share all this information tomorrow on Instagram so that you will have all the information you need. Yeah, follow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So definitely follow us. Um, I, I think it'll be fun to be it's supposed to be beautiful out tomorrow. So that's exciting. Yes. Yes. So I think that's it um, from us. And I hope you would both hope you have a great weekend. Have a great weekend. Um, sh- check out Poppertunity. Check out the, definitely vote. Um, if you can, uh, I know that the Biden, the Cambridge for Biden Harris um, group that Sumble and I have been making calls for uh, is looking for people to do um, phone calls to swing states every night from now until the election and then a big GOTV push, uh, you know, the Saturday through election day. They could use your help. They are on Twitter at Cambridge, the letter for Biden Harris sign up, make some calls. It's just a couple hours. It's pretty easy. Um, it's better than doom scrolling on Twitter. I mean, I can confirm that. (laughs) (laughs) So we will be back in two weeks to let you know, uh, all the happenings here in Cambridge. If you want us to talk about something, have questions, tweet at us. Um, like I said, I'm at AM Malin and Sumble is at Mayor Siddiqui. We'd be happy to hear from you. We're glad you joined us. Thank you for being here. Stay safe. Vote. Get a flu shot. Vote, vote, vote. Support your local businesses and restaurants. And we will see you soon. Bye. Bye, everyone.